So it's really about people skills, understanding people's problems, and then also understanding the real estate business well enough or understanding the solutions we can provide well enough that we can determine if what we can do is going to solve this person's problem. Best ever listeners, do you want to make more money on your real estate projects? Well, I'm guessing that I'm hearing you say, oh yeah, baby. (laughs) Well, guess what, my friends? Today's best ever sponsor, Fund That Flip, is working with well, one of our previous best ever guests who has the most po- one of the most popular episodes, Jay Scott. If you aren't familiar with this episode, then go check that out, episode 217. If you are, because you're a loyal best ever listener, then you know that he knows how the heck to both analyze deals, especially flips, how to optimize the profits on those flips, and how to look at the market. Because of that, Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has worked with him and put together a guide that is the seven tips to increase your real estate profits in today's market. Go check that out. Go get that guide. I've read through it myself. I've learned a lot of things from it, from how to analyze the market cycles, as well as how to optimize profits and not lose money or mitigate your risk for losing money on your deals. Go check it out. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. You're going to learn the tools to better understand your local market and position your business for success. You're going to know how to analyze the real estate cycle and how to use short-term investing to capitalize on the market cycle and seven concrete actionable tips to make more money on your deals. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We cut out all the fluffy stuff. We only talk about the best advice that moves your real estate investing business forward. With us today, we're going to be talking to someone who has competed in the Olympics in judo as well as a real estate investor, obviously and someone who is actively doing deals. With us today, we've got Martin Bonesire. How are you doing, Martin? I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah, my pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Martin. He is the founder and CEO of The Trusted Home Buyer, a residential redevelopment company. He's got 12 years of experience in real estate. He competed in the 2000 and 2004 Olympics in judo. He's the eighth of nine children from an immigrant family who had 40 bucks when they arrived. He has a master's degree in electrical engineering, and you can see him if you're hanging out in Phoenix, Arizona, because that's where he lives. And his website is thetrustedhomebuyer.com. You can click that in the show notes page. With that being said, Martin, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Well, you kind of hit some of the key points. Being part of an immigrant family was really one of the major development points for me, I think. Just that mindset that America is the land of opportunity. And whatever you have, you have an obligation to do something with it, whatever skills, resources. And that includes the freedom and opportunity we have by being in this great country called America. And so my parents seized that opportunity and we're always so thankful to be here. And I just always felt the same. And so 
I loved being technical. And so I got the engineering degree, but just always felt that uh, that pressure, well, I should say pressure, but that desire to go out and kind of make my own way and be an entrepreneur. And so I searched around for a number of years, but I found real estate investing and I just love it. One of the things I find kind of interesting is while it may be a little different, you know, there's not a lot of my friends and in the real estate investing network that are also Olympians, the, the qualities are the same. There's no difference in my mind between make it to the Olympics and succeeding as an entrepreneur. My mantra has always been, you just got to show up. When I was training, I had to show up every day. I didn't have to feel like it. I didn't have to want to every day. I just had to show up. And the other things fell in place. And I think the same is applied in my real estate investing philosophy is that you just show up, do what you need to do. And a lot of the other things will fall into place. And so I just owe a big debt of gratitude to my parents who set that example of persisting and just always expecting that uh, they can do more and be more. So I appreciate them. And it's just it's been a great blessing to be in this country, to be part of a great family and now part of the real estate investing family. What's your real estate experience? You've been in real estate for 12 years. What are you focused on from a real estate standpoint right now? Well, I started just buying at the trustee sales and just trying to make a living. I didn't really know what I was doing, and I suspect that's where probably a lot of people started. And so I started with fixing and flipping, eventually found myself falling into the probate niche, which has really been really wonderful space for my business. I love working in the probate market. And that was really, I think, where I found my feet. And since then, I've expanded my business. We still fix and flip, but to keep some rentals and also doing a fair amount of wholesaling. I always thought I would get more into the commercial space, but I just find that I really like residential and this is my arena, so to speak. If you look at the wholesaling, the fixing and flipping, and properties that you buy and hold, over the last, we'll say like the last five properties, what'd you do with the last five properties when we put those properties in these three categories? Oh, wow. Um, I'm not even sure. The last five we got were while I was on vacation, so I'm not sure what the status is, to be candid with you. But I think what you're getting at, if I'm not mistaken, is what kind of percentages would that be yeah. what you're asking? Okay. So I would say I'm keeping about 20%. I fix and flip about 20%. And right now I'm probably wholesaling about 60%. The last five properties you got while you were on vacation, how do you have your system set up so you're able to do that? Well, that's one of the changes that I've made in the last few years that's been a great challenge, but it's also been a great blessing is to transition from being a solopreneur, you know, kind of a wheeler and dealer, just a guy out there making it happen, which by the way, was a ton of fun. And I still miss it into building a business and a brand. So the upside, of course, to building a business and a brand is the business can operate even if you're not doing everything. And so I've been really fortunate to bring on board some really great people in my company. And they do things that uh, we all have done, which is answer the phones, talk to leads, talk to prospects, talk to sellers, and go see properties. And they do all of these things. And so it allows the business to continue to operate, even if I'm taking a bit of a break. Okay. Specifically, who was your first hire and what were their responsibilities? Well, my first hire was my assistant, and her job was just help me. And so she did everything from 
help with bookkeeping to answering the phone, office management stuff, paying the bills and shuffling paperwork. And she was kind of my right-hand woman, so to speak. So that was my first hire. Probably the hardest hire, I've heard other people say, is the first one. And I would say that was true for me. Now her tasks are more focused as we've added other people to take over some of the other responsibilities. Why was that your hardest hire? Well, I had some previous entrepreneurial endeavors that, uh, well, let's just say I was tired. I was a little bit weary and a little bit, bit risk averse. 2008 did not treat me well. And you know, what the market, well, you know, the market adjustment in September of 2008 with the Lehman Brothers, a stock market crash at the time, I was doing some real estate, but I was also helping private companies raise capital. You know, some green ventures, oil and gas, some different things like that, and clean energy. And I was securities licensed, and I was helping raise money. And so I really enjoyed it. I think I was good at it. And we raised a lot of money for these companies, and then the market corrected, and a lot of people lost their money, including myself and some of these different companies. And anyway, so I just thought, you know, I'm going to kind of batten down the hatches. I focused on real estate. I thought, you know, I'm just going to keep it small. And that was where I started. I didn't want to expose other people's capital. So I left that arena and just focused on real estate. And so I started out just wanting to do my own thing. So then just to add the overhead of bringing somebody else into the mix was to step outside of that box. It was a good step, but it took me a couple of years. I don't know if it was a couple of years, but it took me some time to do it. How long have you been working with your assistant? Well, Carol was my first hire, and I think she's been with me for, um, boy, six years. And how'd you find Carol? That's a good question. Um, I think we posted on Indeed or something similar. I had somebody help me, a friend that uh, had helped hire assistants for others. And so she was one of the people that was encouraging me to take this step. And one of my excuses was, I'm busy. So she helped me out. Remote or in-office assistant? A little bit of both. She works from her own home, but she is local. And so once a week we get together face-to-face and she does kind of the manages my own office and uh, handles paperwork and we have a meeting and go through any outstanding issues, etc. Who's your second hire? My second hire was my acquisitions manager. His name's Joel. And he goes out and sees sellers and makes offers. And I'd known Joel for several years. He was my project manager on fix and flips. And he had been telling me for a long time that he could really sell. He really wanted to come on board. And I kind of put it off on, you know, it's one of those things that uh, it's a very sensitive and crucial part of the business, right? When you meet with a possible client who may be interested in selling you their house. And I was hesitant to outsource that. But uh, I did decide to bring him on board and we went on some training appointments and I let him fly, so to speak, and he's been doing great. His first month, I think he picked up 18 contracts for us. We've been off to the races ever since. What's a learning aspect of acquisitions that you found, and it doesn't have to be specific to him, but just what you've seen needs to be worked on that people might be surprised about? Well, I think the common perception is that the acquisitions person has to be a construction expert. And I know this was one of Joel's assumptions as well, is that, well, I need to know about the house. And there is some truth to that, but this role is really defined 
And I think this business is really defined not so much about your knowledge about the house, but really how can you help this person? What is it this person is looking for and can we provide them a solution that meets their needs? So it's really about people skills, understanding people's problems, and then also understanding the real estate business well enough or understanding the solutions we can provide well enough that we can determine if what we can do is going to solve this person's problem. It's not so much about, well, I think there's a crack here and I think that's going to be a big deal. There's always going to be some property issues, but that's really not what makes or breaks this business. There's plenty of people who know a lot about houses who don't understand the process of helping a motivated seller get the solution that they need. Are there certain questions that you always ask to try and get to the problem-solving aspects of the conversation? Certainly. We start out with, tell me about your situation. What motivated you to give us a call? And that's usually a good door opener. A lot of people will just kind of share right from there. Some people hold their cards a little closer to their chest, so to speak, and may have to ask some more questions. My personal approach is I'm not here to convince anybody. If what I do isn't a good fit, then... I'll be the first person to tell them that. And that's the way I train my people as well. And so if somebody says, well, I'm not really needing to sell and I've got options and whatnot, then my question to them is, well, why not just list it with an agent then? And what I found is there's always a reason that people are giving us a call. And if there truly is no motivation or way that we can help them, we'll just let them know. I think your best bet is to list with an agent and we are happy to provide a referral and then we move on. Since you're on vacation, uh, it won't be the last five, but maybe the last deal that you remember that you've closed on. What are the numbers on it and what'd you do with that deal? Okay. Well, I'll just tell you about one we closed yesterday. This is one that is actually not that particularly great of a deal. We bought this house for 105000 and this one's in our Michigan market. And we already have it pre-sold on a land contract to a gentleman for one fifty. This is one I was planning to use a 1031 exchange because I've got some properties here in Phoenix that I'm selling and I was going to 1031. Unfortunately, that didn't work out. So I'm a little frustrated by that. Well, I do a lot of rent to own when I hold rentals. I really like the rent to own or the lease option. And they were supposed to close at the beginning of July. And then my tenant literally two days before closing says, you know what? I want to go to a different lender for some reason. Anyway, the point is, is we didn't close that transaction in time to use those funds to close this one. Mm -hmm. So normally I wouldn't have purchased this property to hold it on those terms, but I never want to back out of a sale. My reputation or the company's reputation in the marketplace and our following through on our word is of highest priority to us. And so rather than bail on that closing, we just did what we had to do. $105 $105 purchase that you have and then you pre-sold on a land contract for 150 What are the terms of the land contract? Um, I believe this one is a little different in the sense that they're using a company to sign the contract which gives us some freedom from Dodd-Frank which means we can do a balloon. So I believe we have a three-year balloon on this one. So it's a fixed interest rate for three years, three-year balloon. I believe the interest rate is somewhere in the neighborhood of like 8.2% or something like that. And what was the clause that allowed you to circumvent the Dodd-Frank? Well, we're not circumventing anything. I don't like to use that word. But Dodd-Frank is designed for consumer protection. Since the buyer is a corporation, Dodd-Frank doesn't apply. 
I'm not an attorney. I'm, I'm not trying to provide legal advice. This is just my understanding. Yeah, disclaimers out there. Based on your interpretation, since the buyer is a corporation, it doesn't apply. Is that what you said? Right, and, it, and since the corporation is not occupying the property, it's a non-owner occupied. Okay. So it's an investment property for the buyer. Okay, got it. Okay, cool. Well, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? I would say the most significant impact in my business has been to take ownership of my marketing. When I stopped being dependent on what the market would give me, i.e. trustee sales and the MLS, and I started doing my own marketing to get deals, that's really when we started to grow. So that would be my advice is to take ownership of marketing, go straight to the deals, and now you're not dependent on other people like me to provide wholesale deals or whatever it is you might be looking for. Of course, I'm always happy to find buyers and provide great deals for them. But I would say if you really want to take it to another level, take ownership of your marketing and you'll get better deals and you'll have perhaps a more consistent deal flow if you build it right. Right now, what's your number one most effective marketing tactic? Direct mail, followed closely by pay-per-click. How do you approach the direct mail? Where do you get the list and what do you actually send out? I get the list from a friend of mine. He's just a data junkie. And so he purchases all the data that anybody can get from list source or wherever. But then he processes it, filters it, applies you know, whatever wizardry he comes up with from demographics, etc. And whittles that list to something a little bit more manageable. And that's where we get our list. And a lot of people, you know, I see a lot of these people who pitch real estate information services. Oh, we have the best postcard. It pulls the best, whatever. That may be true. But my experience is that you can pretty much write anything. In fact, I like the kind of the messy looking postcards where it looks like somebody took a Sharpie and just wrote on there, hey, I'm interested in buying your house. If you're interested in selling it, give me a call. I mean, literally, that's all you have to do. Of course, you could be a little bit more sophisticated than that, and we are. But my point is, if you just send a message that you're interested in buying, it's going to hit, and you're sending it to enough people, it's going to hit some people at the right time where they're going to respond. When I was in Michigan on vacation, I actually got a testimonial from one of our clients there, and that's exactly what she said. Her mother is 82. She was literally saying she had her Bible open that morning and she was praying and she says, you know, this house is too much for me. I really need to sell this house. And then she got our postcard that day. So she gave us a call. And I think in that example, regardless what that postcard said, she would have called as long as it conveyed the message clearly. We're interested in solving your problem for you, you know, buying your house. And that's what we did. How many is enough people? You said if as long as you mail it to enough people. Well, that's really going to depend on your budget and your business. I don't feel it's my place to say you need to send X amount of thousand or X amount of hundred. I will say, though, if you're numbering your postcards in the hundreds versus the thousands, you may struggle. It's a relatively small percentage of responses that, and depending on your market too, how competitive it is, you should expect probably less than 2% response rate. So if you're sending a thousand postcards, figure you're going to get 10 to 20 maybe phone calls. And out of those phone calls, depending on the effectiveness of your sales team, you might get a deal or two. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. (laughs) All right. 
first, a quick word from our best ever partners. Are you looking to earn passive income through turnkey rental properties? If so, then go check out hipsterinvestments.com. Allie Boone's the founder of Hipster Investments. It's a aesthetically pleasing website, and you'll know what I mean when you go check it out. I just love the color palette. In addition to that, though, Allie has some wonderful content on both passive investing through turnkey rental properties as well as how to design your life. Go to hipsterinvestments.com. Best ever book you've read? Best ever book I've read? Actually, boy, that's a great question. I always like the last book I read. The last book I read I thought was awesome. It's called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, and it's a book on negotiating. I thought it was excellent. Best ever personal growth experience and what you learn from it? Wow. Um, best ever personal growth experience. Okay, I'm going to go back to my athlete days. When I first made the national team and we traveled to Germany for a tournament and a training camp and I was getting my rear kicked bad. I mean, it was really humbling. And I went to the coach. His name was Steve. Steve, what am I doing wrong? And he called me Marty. So he said, Marty, the problem is, is you don't even have the basics. You suck. And this was hard to hear. At this point, I was now ranked number one in the country. <laughs> and the national coach is telling me that I suck. And a lot of people, I think, may have taken that negatively. And I'm just so thankful that I took that as an opportunity. And I packed my bags and I moved to Chicago to train with Steve. There's other reasons other than he just told me that. But I felt he was the best person to take me to the next level. And I retooled my game, so to speak. And two years later, I made my first Olympic team. And Steve is an awesome coach for me. But the upshot of that is when you hear something hard, don't dismiss it. There may be truth in it. And it's a, it may be the best opportunity to come your way. Best ever deal you've done? Oh, that's a good question. I think the best ones were the first ones, which were the most exciting. And I bought this one property for $7,000 back when the market here in Phoenix was at the bottom. It's a mobile home on its own land, and it was you couldn't even walk in it, and it smelled to high heaven. And we cleaned that whole thing out, and we got the smell out, and I think sold it for 30000 bucks. But it was one of my first deals, and it was great. It was a lot of fun, and it just approved the concept, so to speak. I know it's more about the deal, less about the financials on that one, but just curious, how much did you buy it for and how much you put into it? I bought it for seven, I think, and I didn't put a lot into that one. I think I put maybe five into it, but a lot of the reason for the price is because we didn't know what we were buying and the seller didn't want anything to do with it. And so he didn't know what he was selling either. It was just packed floor to ceiling with junk. Numbers were good. They weren't necessarily a huge profit, but it was... It just showed that if you solve somebody's problem, you can make a profit. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate so far? Oh, good question. I've made a lot of mistakes. The biggest mistake, I would say the biggest mistake is when you start hiring people. If you try to hire cheap, you're going to pay. There's no words to express how valuable a great employee can be. And I would say... If you choose to hire people, hire great people that you want to spend time with and it will pay in spades and otherwise it could really cost you a lot of time. As far as mistake goes, you've seen the flip side of that? Yes. What is a way that you qualify good people from people who don't work out? 
I wish I could give you a good answer to that. I'll be candid. I'm not the world's best hirer. <laughs> it's an area where I'm really challenging myself to get better and improve. So I don't know if I can really answer that <laughs> other than to say I'm still working on it. I'm doing my best. I think what happens, at least for me, and I think this may be true for some other entrepreneurs too, is we tend to be decision makers who make decisions quickly. And when it comes to hiring, I've learned to resist that urge to say, okay, I like this person, boom, you're hired. So I'm hiring slowly and then firing more quickly. What's the best ever place the best ever listeners can reach you? Probably through the contact us form on my website would be a great place. The trustedhomebuyer.com. Just click contact us and they can fill out the little form and be happy to help anybody however I can. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your best ever advice with the best ever listeners and talking about solving problems. I love the little role play where you talk through how you approach a conversation with sellers and that you're not there to convince anybody of anything. You're just there to see if you can help solve their problems. And that's the, the mindset that you have and that you instill in your team, specifically your acquisitions manager. And then talking about how you built that team from first hire, the assistant, to the second hire acquisitions manager and your approach for bringing those people on and what they do, as well as direct mail tips and also some other deals that you've done. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. It was great to be here. Are you looking to earn passive income through turnkey rental properties? If so, then go check out hipsterinvestments.com. Allie Boone's the founder of Hipster Investments. It's a aesthetically pleasing website, and you'll know what I mean when you go check it out. I just love the color palette. In addition to that, though, Allie has some wonderful content on both passive investing through turnkey rental properties as well as how to design your life. Go to hipsterinvestments.com.